Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I'm your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we return to Masks of Neoathotep in our interlude series. And so at the top of the show, of course, we'd like to thank you, the listener, and especially our Patreon supporters for all that they do for us. We hope you are enjoying Masks of Neoathotep. And if you are a listener and you've not had a chance to join the Patreon, you can join us at patreon.com slash the Old Ways Podcast. And you could potentially be a force for good or evil for our investigators. Speaking of, we need to get to introductions. So introductions are going to start to my right. This is Lillian, played by Morgan. (laughs) And I apparently have no idea what I'm doing tonight. So we're going to just fly by the seat of the pants. Pants, you and pants. It's It's a marriage made in 1920s art chic. It's all your dress styles, or lack of dresses, anyway. Uh, so, uh, serving as the end of the table this evening. Hi, this is James. I play playing Dr. Sigmund Tartenbach. And um, we have to make sure that um, that Lillian and Professor uh, you know, Professor Morgan, I believe his name is, uh, never meet each other with their love of pants. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. And last one, well, certainly not least. Uh, this is Alex playing Saint-Bran. Who knows who we really are or something like that uh, many facets perhaps the same shadow so we'll raise the curtain tonight on the ss or moose which is the vessel that the investigators uh, have secured they have secured first class passage from port said all the way to shanghai uh, this is a smaller version of the vessel that they took uh, Similar, anyway, the, the a vessel ocean liner that they took when uh, when they went from New York to Southampton in England. It's, uh, it's got about a thousand or so maximum passengers. Only a little over 20 percent of those or so are first class passengers. The great part for you is from the amenities to the ship, fore and aft, uh, you have a great amount of freedom, especially in first class. Um, so. The way these interlude series are going to work for each one of our investigators is they're going to have the opportunity to potentially raise skills and potentially work on all sorts of interesting facets of their characters. And that is really what is the crux of what brings us to this interlude series session. So we're going to raise the curtain tonight in the compartment of one Dr. Sigmund Tottenbach, who has been spending some time preparing for a patient, a patient that he knows he has to work with 
uh, over the considerable distance in, of this journey. So the journey is estimated to take between about 28 to 35 days. And this journey is one that uh, we've all been looking forward to. Sigmund, you've managed to uh, secure yourself in the uh, in the compartment there in your own suite. Uh, there's um, all of the standard suite affairs, so bed, uh, side table, desk, chair, and then because you're a first-class passenger, thanks to Miss Lane, you get the afforded additional amenity of what would be considered a sort of sitting table for three or four people. And so that is sort of just slightly beyond your normal suite area. There's no privacy as far as doors or that sort of thing. It's just a wide open suite with a bed, a side table, and then in one nook, this sort of four chair and table setup. Um, you have invited both Sam and Miss Lane to um, to the first of what could be potentially multiple sessions of sort of getting into what lies um, at the root of um, the trouble. So what I'd like to know from you is how would the doctor set up the space? What changes might he make? What um, additions or subtractions or even uh, simple things like water and coffee and food, what would you make available to your guests? He would make the room dimmer. He would put comfortable pillows, blankets about. Not exactly bohemian, but so that it's a little more comfortable and a little less um, stark sitting area. Like I said, lower the lights a little bit, lower the lantern just a little, have some music on that's not too garish or anything. We're not talking jazz here or anything. We're not going to get crazy. But, uh, um, and uh, maybe even a little bit of sandalwood that he picked up in Egypt while he was shopping just to make the room nice, pleasant, smell nice. And uh, he's humming, just humming lightly to himself as he preps the room put some snacks out, um, some dates, uh, some nuts, you know, leftover dried figs. So you get the temperature in your mind. That's sort of the, the word you come to. The temperature of the room turns down a little bit. All the atmosphere is a little dim, a little quieter. You probably close any sort of um, portholes just to make sure that there's no external additional noise, especially from the ship, given the fact that it's a steamer seagulls are particularly piercing when you're in the middle of a, a, a quiet session certainly it's around about this time that you you have just just about everything set that you are going to be joined by some some additional comrades in arms so for you sam the boat ride out of port said was a great opportunity to sort of enclose yourself in your own personal space uh, and sit behind a locked door. <laughs> uh, but it's also an opportunity, too, to see uh, what the ocean has to offer, at least from this position of a first-class berth, which is nice. So all the food is fairly well top shelf. You get probably quite a few opportunities to sample foods from both the Pan-Asian area and the Indian 
subcontinent. The boat is managed by a British company, uh, but there's essentially worldwide fare here. Considering the, the state of Cairo as we depart, uh, I imagine Sam is introspective, contemplative, quiet, withdrawn, uh, isolated to a degree, probably to a fault. Most of his waking hours would be spent poring over his own papers and trying to find paths like, in in his in his thoughts through the fog, through the the temptation, because right now he's wrestling with a lost prey, which isn't something that he he's really had to struggle with yet. There is an unfulfilled need at this point in time. I'm basically trapped at sea now with a bunch of potential victims. Yeah. I don't want to die out here and I don't want to necessarily, I don't have a reason to kill anybody here. I think it's kind of past denying that the urge is there and that the when I see people, it's likely not long before fantasizations would, would start creeping in. So yeah, I think uh, Sam's hiding out uh, waiting for the doctor to summon him, uh, going over what he's managed to stitch together of himself since the last train ride. Yeah, probably sticks very much in your mind, the difference between the um, bump of railroad tracks and the the sway now of the ocean. And I suppose the sway probably adds a sort of listlessness to some of your time there. It probably adds some depth to wallow in maybe especially when it comes to lost prey um, and as far as available potential targets you're you're in a first class area that is likely 60 to maybe 70 percent um, people you would probably consider on the wrong side of the whole coin likely have probably done terrible things to people probably could be um, the world could be made a better place if they weren't here and it's ripe with justification internally yeah some of the scenes alone just seeing the pomp and circumstance that especially British uh, business and this aristocracy um, the members of the aristocracy that might be around um, it's it uh, it definitely churns up those feelings but Nevertheless, um, you have been sort of called to uh, Sigmund's quarters for a specific reason. What, if anything, are you bringing with you? Are there any sort of trappings that you feel like you would need? Just my papers. Okay. My papers, the Book of Ibon, and uh, the blade would all go with me. That's the state you find yourself in outside his suite at some point probably within the first couple of days. It probably took a day or so for everyone to get settled, give or take, and then you're you're there. I check to see if the door is open. Oh, yes. Then I will gently tap on it as I open it. Velkman, come on in. Uh, slide in, shut the door, uh, probably clutching the books and papers to his chest as kind of a shield between him and the doctor. He's just kind of holding them there. Guten Morgen. 
come in, Sam. Sit. Feels different. Uh, sit. Sure. Uh, Anywhere you'd like. I will find a place to that that it seems appropriate to put in my rear. Yeah, I mean there are there's a table. That's probably the only appropriate place I would imagine. You're not going to sit on his bed, and you're likely not going to sit at his writing desk. So. Okay. Then I will be I will be brave and not immediately sit with my back to the wall. But I want to. I really want to. For you, Lillian, the uh, first couple of days aboard the ship has been sort of a, a busy time. You're getting things set up with um, the professor to uh, learn Cantonese. But you know that part of your time here has to be spent uh, with the doctor by by request. Um, but not by his request, by Sam's request. And uh, it was probably during a passing either evening or perhaps even an early breakfast that Sigmund had mentioned uh, a rough time that he would like to get things proceeding. Sorry, did doctor let me know that he wanted me to join him for Sam's session? Yeah, probably the night, the, the evening previous at dinner. Okay. To let you know that tomorrow, late morning. I'll be there. You arrive at uh, Sigmund's uh, suite and you notice that the door is a little bit, probably just slightly ajar. I give it a soft tap, the door, and just kind of poke my head around the corner. Um, doctor? Ah, guten Morgen, Liebchen. Please come in and um, close the door behind you, yeah? Is it just Doctor and I, or is it there's Sam there no, too? Sam's here. Okay, I open the door and yeah, find us a, a spot to sit. And I have nothing with me other than myself. Doc offers snacks and a cup of tea for everyone. Uh, there's some cookies and some nuts and some dates. I appreciate you being here, Lillian. It is too early for alcohol, don't you think? Oh. Well, if I was Jack, he'd say no, but I'm not, and I, I, I will gladly take a cup of tea. If you would believe Jack, then the sheet that they wrapped him in as a baby was the first of four sheets that he accumulated in short order because he has not stopped being four sheets to the wind since then. But he functions, you know? <laughs> so, how is everyone this morning, young? I'm fantastic. I'm here to provide whatever um, support that you and Sam need on this journey. Sam uh, puts his uh, his books and papers on the table. Looks over at Lillian. It, it does mean a lot to me that you're here. Uh, that's that's all. Um. I'm, I'm happy to try and help with um, whatever you might need. Um, I'm not sure it's the type of help you might be looking for, but I'm 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 I'm, I'm here. What what I'm hoping for, I suppose, is um, I don't necessarily feel like I can trust my instincts. So, if say were presented with a situation or a challenge of some sort, I just 
I'm hoping that you'll uh, be able to give me an alternate point of view for what I might do, given those circumstances. That isn't what would come naturally to me at this point. Like I said, I can provide whatever assistance I can provide. And if you need points of view, um, I'm not going to say they might differ from your own. It depends on the situation, but I'm... I have no doubt. We're all one big happy family. And I am... I just want to make sure that you get the assistance that you need. Well, I also need someone other than a doctor to hear what I have to say. So I'm just going to be candid and uh, treat you as I would treat myself as far as honesty. And uh, doctor, we're, we're on a clock. Do not worry. Doc pulls out a small hash pipe, puts a little in. Oh, do, do not worry. This is not, not, I will not be sharing this. Do not worry. This is just to put my mind at ease. Uh, I mean, we need to act in, or something bad is going to happen on this ship. Oh, I, I do not disagree. It, you seem to have a fissure in your mind, and we will address that in probably a few moments. The tea is a chamomile and rose hip, so it's, it's pretty calming. So, we're going to try... Something a little unorthodox today. Some a kind of treatment that I think that perhaps we are the only ones who can do. Hmm? I'm listening. Okay. Hmm. So, what I want everyone to do is we are going to we're going to count backwards from twenty. Okay. And as we get closer to one. I want everyone to relax and we are going to all, we're going to speak openly and honestly. And if you feel, if you feel as though perhaps you are going to see things or going to hear things, that is all part of the process, I assure you. 20, 90, 15, 12. So the doc starts counting backwards. And as he does so, Sam, you feel sort of this innate compulsion to get something off your chest. You have an, an sort of this very strange compulsion to speak, to say what needs to be said. So whatever is on the direct top of your mind comes up and out. I want to gut someone with my machete and spill their insides all over the ship deck. I am proud of you, Sam. It took a lot of... Well, it took a lot of guts to... To admit to something like that, dark thoughts in, that are intrusive on, not easy to say or to own up to. Uh, Morty, Lillian, Morty. Um, I think I'm good, Doctor. And I just kind of look sideways, thinking I should have probably brought a weapon with. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we, of course, the difference between intrusive thought and rational thought can sometimes become clouded. And that is what we are going to be working towards. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four. You begin. You begin to feel this same sort of sensation too, Lillian. This sort of strange and almost needful emotion to 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 convey what's on your mind. I have no idea what I'm doing here on the ship going to Shanghai. I'm, I'm not 
I, I don't belong here. I'm not worth anything. Well, that is also quite brave, Lillian. My dear, to admit to some a feeling of such inferiority is also very difficult to do. <laughs> Three. Two. Doc looks at both of you. I'm afraid that I'm losing myself in my work. And if I lose myself completely, what separates me from the monsters? One. James Earl Powell. Hard stoke. Hard success. 30 under 65, sir. Okay. So when he says the words separate me from the monsters, the room gets spun on its axis. Everything flips in a wild, almost kaleidoscopic pattern of color. Everything that is center that you're staring at, whether it be the wall or each other or the table or the tea, everything pixelates and goes to the right. When you snap your head just a bit to sort of clear or you grab onto the table for, for something to hold on to, the table is as mushy as like a wet graham cracker and you tumble in towards the table never actually leaving your seat you come out of yourself and fall into this dark pit it's at this point you begin to come begin to feel like you're being flattened everything is being compressed all the way down from your regular height and regular weight until you're flat as a pancake and it's a, a fairly gripping sensation it's not necessarily painful physically but the perception that your brain has is tenuous at best and when you uncompress you hear the sound of the shore on a beach you hear the crackle of a campfire you begin to smell burning wood. And all around each of you, uh, there is a very strange scene. And so we'll go sort of in order so we can reset each one of your perceptions. Sam, you are standing on the shore of an island at night. The campfire is the only light. There are sort of these palms that overlook the area and they stretch out left into the right for just a little ways until the, the island goes into darkness. The shore is filled with these tiny little pebbles. They're all star-shaped as if they're fashioned uh, each one by hand. It, almost like as somebody had whittled them out of wood. There's something on the horizon, even in that darkness. You see that there's a, a row of these gray clouds that runs from left to right on the horizon. And the feeling you get is this sort of impending something that's coming. You don't know how fast or how immediate because it looks so distant yet there's something there 
And up against this shore, right on the beach here where you're next to, there is a a homemade raft that feels very familiar. It's a little broken, but the pieces of wood that have been lashed together by leather straps and perhaps a few common nails feel, the visual of it feels very, very familiar. Uh, Lillian, for you, you get the fire, you get the darkness and the island around you, but your eyes are so much more intently focused on the flame. And there are tiny little flecks of burned wood and embers that dance in the fire here. And they create a pattern. And the pattern seems familiar, but you're not sure from where. As they seem to sort of mix back and forth. And there is this... I don't know, maybe it's the wind. Maybe it's the wind brushing through the palms here. But there is this sort of otherworldly sense to this island. The wind doesn't sound the same as it did back home or even in Egypt or even on the boat. There's a tune, almost a frequency to the wind here that is different. And for you, Doctor, this is a multicolored sand-kissed island. The darkness is not so dark for you. The threads are evident here as they were in Egypt, although not as ample. This is definitely a place where there is that sort of thread work that you've seen before, but instead of it being so ambient as it was in Egypt, this is a focused thread work in your compatriots. It's linking to and through them? And you. Okay. Excellent. And you all sort of unpause? I think that's really the best term for it. What the hell just happened? The transition is never easy. I apologize. Transition to where? Where are we? Where is, um... Where is a very difficult word to apply to here? Like, is it a win? Mm, well, I mean, it can be a win. Uh, okay, um, do you know where you go when you are sleeping and you are in a dream and that dream, it feels so real. Like the train. Like the train. Very good, Sam. Yeah. We are in that place. I have learned over the weeks that have gone by and such that I can access this place. You brought us here? I did. Well, I mean, it is it is the safest place for me to do work like this. Um, Doc lifts a, gl- a cup of tea and a saucer that weren't there before and takes a sip. Tea? So this is what you meant by unorthodox, then? By, <laughs> yes. It is... This is, as they say, this is quite unorthodox. Yeah. It's beautiful here. I'm going to kneel in the, the sand. Is the, the star shaped? Are they are they jagged? Like, does it hurt? They are a little jagged. They sort of remind you of starfish in that way. 
Uh, and when you turn them over, you see that each one has a couple of cir- smaller circles on the underside of them. Almost like you would see in a starfish, right? Um, but they move independently. There's no breathing, per se. They're moving? Yeah, they move a little bit. Wow. <laughs> Doc takes in the look of wonder of Sam and looks to Lillian. And what do you think? Hmm? I think you've been keeping things from us, Doctor. It is not intentional, Legion. I've not had a time. This seemed like a very good time to bring you both here. We have some things to think about and things to do, I think. I mean, I've, I've been to other, I wouldn't even know what to call it, other worlds before or dimensions. Hmm. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Dreams, I guess. But this is definitely different. It seems more realistic than the other places. I begin to believe that this is, in fact, its own world and that mankind is privileged to accident upon it when they are in their deepest sleep. I'd be curious to hear at some other point in time as to how you uh, happened upon this ability. And, you know, we all have our secrets, Doctor, so I'm not, you know, I I only jest. But oh, secrets, you know, Lillian, that is a very good place for us to start. Secrets. I think perhaps first we should sail. Hmm? Doc slings his cane up over his shoulder and walks over to the raft. Uh, the raft doctor does not seem to be seaworthy. Like it wouldn't hold more than one person? Oh, definitely not. Mm. And and for you, Sam, when he like goes over to look at the raft, it feels like someone is looking at like the bedroom you slept in as a kid. Doctor, uh, I'll stand up from the the shore and make my way over to the raft and the doctor. What are we meant to do here? Because this, I'm going to reach out and touch it and, and like really get a hand on it. How real does this thing feel? It feels very real. Um, you don't really feel any discernible difference. It doesn't have that sort of wet graham cracker that the table did when you fell through the world. I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, it that the raft feels as real as it did when you left home. Sam, do you do you know this raft? Perhaps I think it. I, I feel like it knows me. Hmm. An interesting concept, Raft, yeah? Wouldn't you say, Lillian? An interesting concept? For some... Sometimes it is the only thing that is saving us. But when we are on one... Well, that seems like a very lonely place to be, yeah? Yes. <laughs> she just looks... I, I'm... Not she. I'm... Yeah, I, I'm just looking around and, like still in awe as to what's going on around here. Start touching things. Sure. What would you like to touch first, Lillian? Mm, the palm. Okay. Yeah, there's uh, more than enough palms that come down uh, low enough that you could reach out and sort of touch. They feel real enough. 
the trees themselves that are just slightly on the sand there sort of come out there feel real enough too the sand beneath your feet is warm but not too warm doctor this this is amazing this I'm be honest I'm jealous I <laughs> wish I could you know pop to my own world anytime I wanted we're not here to and to for me to bask in my awe of your whatever ability this is um we're here to help Sam oh no bask that, away that is one of the reasons why we are here yes Wow. He looks at Sam. Go on. What does it invoke? I'm going to look at Lillian. Thank you, Lillian. Uh, I'm going to look at the boat again. And the question I'm asking myself, Doctor, is... Is this where I'm going? Or is this how I got here? And where is here? I don't think there's a difference. It is not about the journey, Sam. Not entirely. It's about who you are on the journey, yeah? And what the journey has done to you. This is a unique place to investigate such things. For everyone. I've always been one who kills Doctor, but it's never been com- it's, never, it's never been a necessity. Mm. Well, how are we going to get off the island first before the hunger sets in and you decide to eat us both, yeah? There's a rumble of thunder from that series of clouds far off from the island. And what is that? What does it look like? Doom. It's hungry. Looks dark. Then I suggest we'd better get moving, yeah? This thing's not going to go anywhere. I'll shake the boat. Yeah, it's it's no good as a boat, but um, it's possible if you stripped it apart, you might be able to build a lean-to, maybe? Storm's coming. Doctor, this is is your plane. Is there anywhere else on this island that we could go to? I am quite certain you will find an amazing number of things on this island, Miss Len. Mm. For example, does this remind you in any way of anyone you've ever been? The island or the boat or the raft? He smiles and crosses his arms a little. I don't know if it's the tea or this whole trip. Uh, I'm feeling a little confused. Is this my introspection, or is are we are we supposed to be working on Sam? Does it matter? I think the answer is yes. I pull the raft up on the shore. Okay. And I will instinctively reach for my blade. It's not there. When you go to your hip, or when, where you go to your back, or whatever portion of your body you would have slung it to, when you pull at that area to go for the blade, that, that familial handle... What you find is this sort of residue. Your hand comes back with this sort of almost seaweedy residue. There's no blade there, though. I'll hold my hand up to the to the doctor. Blech. When we were on the train, where did that tea come from? I'm going to point to his tea. Where did that tea come from? Um, <clears throat> this one. And he holds up the again not. There, there, not there. Cup of tea. This one. Invisible winds. Yes, that one. What is that? There is no tea. He turns the tea upside down. The teacup upside down. It's just a teacup. There's no tea in it. Well, here, look for yourself. 
He hands the tea and tea cu- carefully places the teacup on top of the saucer and hands it to Sam. Is there tea in this? No. It would seem that there's no tea at all in that. Hmm? I just stand there holding this teacup. There's another rumble of thunder. How about we walk away from the storm? Instead of worrying about this right here, we can walk and talk at the same time. A fantastic idea. Where are we walking to, Lillian? I think you should show us. I think I should show you, too. Okay, Lillian, where are you walking to? Sam, why don't you give Doctor his teacup back and let's move away from the storm. I don't... I do that. I grab the raft. No, just leave the raft, Sam. Come on. Look, this is the only real thing I have here, all right? Oh, okay, well, hold. Are you going to carry that with you as we walk? (laughs) I begin dragging it. What's behind us? behind you as you turn back towards the island? Correct. Uh, So mostly it's palm trees and sort of underbrush for that matter. So ferns, uh, tall grasses. Is there any sort of walking path that I can discern? You can certainly make one. Make one with my feet? You bet. Okay, I was hoping to roll like spot hidden or something. No. (laughs) All right, I just start heading towards towards the palm. I'm like... Let's go see what this island has to offer. We can walk and talk at the same time. Doctor, is there anything on this island that can kill us? Probably. Okay, that's fine. You begin forging this path, and you walk yourself probably a good good couple hundred feet, you figure, before there's a small break in the palms, and there's this slight, gentle rise in the island itself probably no more than 10 or 15 feet but it does give you a slight hill and it gives you a for lack of a better term a a place where you could make some sort of protected lean-to from the storm Um, as you walk to this distance um, it has begun to rain as we are walking i will be i don't have a blade so i'll just have to dismantle this thing by hand So I will yank on straps and ropes and do what I can to turn it from a raft into a bundle of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you uh, use that couple hundred feet or so as you're sort of going along to... The the raft as it is is cumbersome. It's difficult to carry as it is, so you begin breaking it down into long boards and short boards and begin being able to stack a few things. You have to sort of double time your steps afterwards to keep up with Lillian because she's really forging ahead and the doctor is sort of observing. He's not really taking a ton of uh, direct uh, initiative. He's sort of letting things seemingly play out. And so you get your, your bundles finally together and you have the leftover straps and the wood. Everything is separated now. And you arrive probably a few minutes or a few moments after Lillian does at the top of this rise. What do we see? Down below the rise, there is a small lagoon um, of beautiful, clear water with sort of these reflective stones underneath them. So there's this, uh, as the storm has not yet completely overcasted the island, the starlight here reflects on this pool. You get sort of this wondrous glow that comes out of the starlight and the stones. 
I looked over at Sam. Are you still you're still dragging that raft? It's <laughs> you. It's, do you have a, Do you have a better umbrella? A little rain never hurt anybody. We're getting a little rain now. That is not a little rain. Sometimes you can't plan for everything. Really? Is that so? What do you think, Sam? Can you not plan for everything? Well, not for everything, but I mean, the raft was already there. So where are you going to build this, whatever this is going to be? Well, I think I think I can probably give us a little bit of cover from that spot over there. Uh, get based on which way it's coming. I don't... How's the wind? So the wind is beginning to pick up a little. I'm not really sure how much of the storm is going to hit the island. Um, the the best place, given the wind, would probably be to sit on the eastern portion of the island and sort of lean up against a couple of the palms here that have grown together. It gives you a fair foundation. Uh, and you should have enough wood to sort of make a triangle <laughs> using the ground as one of your uh, your angles. I look over at Sam. So instead of dragging that large piece of raft through the palms all by yourself, don't you think you could have asked for help for carrying, you know, carrying that? Sure, but you were busy. And it, well... It went okay, I think. I look over my shoulder again at the trail we made. It did, but sometimes the burden is, you know, people, we're here to help you with bur- the burden that you hold, not to let you shoulder it all by yourself. Oh, okay. Doc is looking up at the ridiculous number of stars. Sometimes Lillian, though. It is important for you to be on the journey and break the grief down yourself to find it easier to carry. And having someone break it down for you does you a disservice. Yeah, but doctor, so much grief can break a person past repair, though. But you're the doctor. Do you want help building that lean-to? I I would love some, because I don't have any tools. Okay. Doc doesn't stop looking at the stars. I'm going to go find a couple rocks to, to aid in foundationing and, and supporting things and trying to keep things in place since okay. I don't have any nails or what have you, a rope. Lillian, are you going to help um, with the, the finding of foundational rocks? I will. Go rock hunting. So the two of you go rock hunting a little bit and one of the rocks you find Sam has this single perfect side to it. And you know it will be good because it, it's going to help Keep if water comes, you know it will it will divert from from that area of the lean to. And furthermore, if you absolutely had to, you could probably break a coconut with it. And so there's it's 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 multi it's got it's got multiple purposes. Or I also feel like I'm armed now. Sure. Lillian, the, the, the rocks the rock you find, you find two, they're a little smaller. But they give you this feeling when you pick them up that these will make excellent additions to the, the base of what you're trying to accomplish. I pick them up and I hold them close to me so I can lug them back over to the, to the 
discombobulated raft, or what used to be a raft, <laughs> and I tossed them on the ground. You did much camping, Lillian? My father saw to it that I knew all the things that the boys knew. Sam, you start assembling this lean-to, along with Lillian's help. And I guess what I want to know is, how much space are you making? And then, sort of, in what fashion will you craft this temporary structure? So, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of material to work with. So, if I wanted to cover us all, it would need to be short enough so as not to waste any vertical material to get as much space as we could. So it'll probably be something stout and wide so that we could sit under it in like a line. If need be, if we had to pull our feet in, we could pull our feet in. But if I could give us at least enough space to stretch our legs, that would be ideal. If not, then scrunchy time it is. But I'm, I'm more focused on cover than comfort. So something that is, we'll say, purpose-built. Comfort can come later, but the, the, the basics is to figure out how to get you all out of the rain. And keep us dry, yeah. So you all uh, have the opportunity after this lean-to is built. You've built under two very thick palms. And the nice part about that is is you get a wonderful canopy. And the lean-to, in addition to that, helps as the rain subsides just a little bit into sort of these light droplets that are beginning to, to, to move through the area. The lagoon responds with each drop of rain that hits it. It looks like there might be perhaps some fish in that lagoon who are reacting to the the drops in the water. And Doctor, you get an overwhelming compulsion to begin to settle into the needful things which need to happen. Will there be enough room inside? You hear a voice in your head that says, I will make it work. Wunderbar. All right, my friends, I think we should go inside. I think what we need to do will be in there, more comfortably performed in there. Hmm? Sure. What, what are we doing? A little bit of a procedure. He holds the, I don't know, flap. The fronds, the palm fronds uh, that cover the front area kind of pushes them out of the way. Rough pew. I follow him in and sit down as well. It's dry in here. There's just barely enough space for the three of you to sit in sort of this cross-legged, you know, sort of pose. It's somewhat calming. It's more of a meditative pose than anything. It's not tall enough to accommodate very tall people, but the three of you seem to be able to between the palms and between the lean-to get tightly packed in and now you're all very, very close personally. I have Lillian and Sam sit cross-legged facing each other 
And then I sit behind Sam, also cross-legged on the floor, facing Sam's back. And Doc puts his bag next to him and opens it. So the doctor reaches behind the lean-to and removes a bag, which was not there before. Doctor, you need to stop doing that. Where are you pulling this stuff from? It amuses me, first of all, to see your faces. That is one of the best parts. But second of all, what really amuses me is that neither of you have truly figured out how this place works yet. Doc opens his doctor's bag and pulls out a full-length umbrella and puts it to the side casually. Can I figure out how doctor's doing? Is he doing that by just thinking of stuff? You're not really sure? He leans over a little to look past Sam so that he can make eye contact with Lillian and kind of, and smiles almost mischievously. I will figure out how you're doing this. <laughs> Doctor, you, 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 you seem to think that, or you thought maybe, I mean, I understand this is experimental, but are, are you, is this, is this part of the treatment? Is this, this is part of the treatment and now becomes the most important part for Miss Lillian here. Miss Lynn? Doctor? I need you to ask him questions now. And I'm needing him to answer them truthfully. Do you hear me, Sam? Regardless of how painful they are. Sure. And regardless of what you may feel. And he leans over again to look at Lillian. Or see, the procedure must continue into the end. Or I cannot guarantee what the results will be. I will mouth the words, I'm sorry, to Lillian before we proceed. And Doc reaches into his bag and puts on a pair of black gloves. Lillian's very unsure what she's gotten herself into, but she trusts the doctor. And then he pulls out something else. He keeps it wrapped in his hand and nods to Lillian. You may begin, Liebchen. I'm a little at a loss as to what kind of questions I'm supposed to ask. No. It means that you know exactly which questions to ask, but you do not wish to ask them because they make you uncomfortable and you do not wish to hurt Sam. Unfortunately, my dear, I need you to ask those very questions. Sam? Lillian? What was your childhood like growing up? With that, Mike, I make the first incision from scalp to back of the neck. Okay, make a power roll for me, Doctor. I would love to. Hard success, 15. Okay. Under 65. This is not something you feel, Sam. You get. Can Lillian see what he's doing? No way. Okay, that's good. I have two questions for the keeper before I start. Is this compulsory honesty or is this is this um, voluntary? How does this what does this feel like? I would say it's compulsory honesty, in the sense that the she asks the question, "What was your childhood like?" And when you hear her ask the question, you feel compelled to finally give up that memory to her. You feel like she is asking a very important question and that you want to answer her question. When, uh, when I was 
15, I was, uh, I was drafted into rebellion service by nationalists uh, opposing Commander Sam, Vil- Vilbrun Sam, was in uh, 1911. Before that, Sam probably pauses for a, a, an agonizing while and then comes to kind of a, like a jarring start. Duck looks very intently at the back of Sam's head, like a child looking at a light bright, when Sam stops talking. I was taken. I was taken. It was very small. And I was kept. I was used for all sorts of things. Violent things. Things no, no, no child should be doing. And I was told... I was told that I was doing what was right. I didn't know. All I know is what they told me. And when I saw... There weren't many of us left after a while. That's when they found what was left of us and pulled us into service. It's children. A dozen of us. We killed them all for what they did to us. To the, to the man. Lillian, hold out your hands. Sam, you were a child. And that was a burden that you should not have been handed to. Hmm? And Doc reaches into the back of Sam's skull. Okay. Um, What you find there, Doctor, is a dark marble. It's smooth, but it has a significant amount of what we would call vital energy in it. And you get your fingers around sort of that smooth marble and are able to extricate it very carefully. Duck drops it into Lillian's hands. So the marble, Lillian, when it drops into your hands, you feel such a significant amount of heartache. It weighs far more than the marble size shows. And it weighs so much that you sort of have to cradle it between both your hands. And you feel a valley open inside of you emotionally, where you get visions of your own childhood and growing up in Philadelphia and all of these things that you were able to experience. And they are contrasted with Memories of a childhood that that no child should be forced to have. And when she accepts this marble, for you, Sam, what you sort of feel is it be replaced by a singular tenant, a singular trait, an acclamation of compassion that grows in you because what you lacked in that moment was compassion from another human being and it didn't go on for simply a moment it went on for years and you realize that that compassion that you are given 
is a sort of trait that harmonizes in your mind with what you know about Lillian Lane. And you, you know that that is a part of her as well. And the two of you staring at one another in this lean-to on the island with the rain droplets surrounding the, the lean-to and the, and the lagoon, you both sort of feel this harmonizing between the two of you. And it's a very pleasant after-echo after drumming up such a difficult and traumatic memory. Am I still holding this marble? Oh, yeah. Am I still feeling all this weighing on me? It ebbs a little bit, but it's there. Can I swallow back my my emotions? And I, I look at Sam and how are you feeling? Lighter. What is that? I'm not sure. The doctor handed it to me, but I have a feeling it's something of yours. Doctor? It is a byproduct of an unfortunate illness, one that must be extracted with all due haste, lest the subject become more ill. God. Yeah, maybe we should put that away somewhere. Doctor, can we put this in your bag or bury it at sea? He looks directly at Lillian again. I don't know, Lillian. Do you have the capacity to put it somewhere? Doc smiles as he sees uh, uh, hopefully enlightenment spread across Lillian's face. I think really hard about where I want to send this. Where would you like to send it? To somewhere nobody will ever find it. How about that dimension that I saw Mr. Wild at? I think that you could make me a power roll if you would like to sort of connect with that space. Okay. Does Doc see her looking around, like, as in looking off distant directions and such? Yes. He reaches out and puts his hand on Lillian's hand over the marble. Oh, you're going to help me? No. I'm going to tell you to put it somewhere. Sending it away is running away. You need to deal with this. Hmm? And hurry, because I have to extract another one. What? (laughs) Shh. I need to deal with this. Like, put it somewhere. Doc points with a bloody scalpel towards a clay jar. Like, you really want me to put it somewhere. Okay. Here I was going to send it off to somewhere else. I put it in the clay jar. There's a light sound when the marble hits the clay jar. And then you feel a little better, Lillian. Next question, Nurse Lillian, please. Oh, God. Sam, I'm, I'm really sorry you had to go through that. Nobody should have to grow up like that. It's really given me some insight into the person that you are. Doc frowns and looks past Sam and shakes his head. No, I don't want sympathy. I want questions. I want sympathy. Shh. Lillian rolls her eyes at the doctor. Sam? Lillian... Why was there another... I I still don't understand why there was another personality in you. Why? Who who was that? Can you explain how how he got there? 
This time, the doc makes no effort to hide what he's doing, and the cut is from the top of the left ear across the top of the skull to the top of the right ear, so that they have formed a cross in the middle. Does Lillian see that? You see him working. You see the doctor, his sort of visage is um, is covered by a shadow at this point. And okay. so, like, seeing him as being, seeing the shadow work behind him, you see his arms move, and you can see that he is working with a sort of tool um, but he's when he makes eye contact with you really all you're seeing is the spectacle glass on his glasses you're not actually seeing full definition of his face Sam you feel a deep compulsion to answer a very difficult question when things get things got really bad and there were dark things to do. I couldn't bring myself to do them, but I knew I was right, or I believed I was right. Or The Baron Samedi can bring justice for a cost. He never took from me what I gave willingly, but when he would leave me, he took me with him, and so I had to start over again. And again. And again. Doc very carefully reaches in for this one. Maybe a set of tongs this time. It was kind of squishy with the fingers last time. You uh, appropriate the right tool. This marble is not nearly as large, but it is a sort of fiery and energetic color. This one, when it comes out, Doctor, is warm to the touch. Interesting. This one is exhibiting a pseudo-exothermic reaction. Perhaps tied to the violence and the multiple changes. Interesting. Nurse? Hands? Lillian puts her hands out again, a little weary this time. This one is a little different for you to handle, Lillian, but before that happens... This is exceedingly mind-altering for you, Sam. In the sense that those memories, the recitation of Simone's death, it doesn't feel like it needs to be said anymore. You you feel the memory of him and the memory of the others rather than being part of the whole so much they finally exhale in your mind these images that you've had to sometimes explain to people like Jack or to try to explain to someone like Lillian they, it feels like the volume finally gets turned down very low for them almost off and what you feel is Sam like a sense of wholeness for that person a sort of personhood finally and for you Lillian when you take this marble it is warm to the touch and what you hear in your ears are voices many voices speaking in languages you don't always understand. There's a little French in there, but 
it st- stays with you, this multilingual chorus of people talking until you drop it in the clay jar. Yes, I, I don't hold this one near as long as I did the last one. Uh, what's replaced by this, Sam, this sense of wholeness also comes with it a immense surge of courage and sort of this resolve to continue on. That those after echoes served a purpose, but their purpose is done, and what must remain is Sam as whole. It's a very strengthening feeling. I think getting a kind of the rush from that will spur I would I would be looking, even though I know, I would be looking for my papers. I'd be looking for Sam as I know Sam. Make me a power roll. Extreme success. There we go. So when you look around for your papers, you see them suddenly bundled in between your legs. They're where they're supposed to be. They must have been here the whole time. And for you, doctor, behind you, very importantly, you see the threads here shift as someone else has connected with the dreamlands again. Someone other than us? No, 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 specifically the person you're sitting right behind. As in, as in the threads are properly connecting through him. Yes. There's no more wild deviations. Twitching, broken nerve threads. Right. Got it. Uh, The reason he was reaching for his papers is because there were facets that he was able to describe to the doctor in their earlier sessions. And there's now kind of a compulsion to add to that because there are things, there are things that he's feeling that were not there before. These are new facets. These are new fundamental principles that need to be given they need to be be manifest Um, so he will add to his list compassion and courage which looks extremely interesting underneath underhanded and circumspect you realize when you when you write courage the first image of courage that comes to your mind is Lillian in that crouched shooter's position shooting Omar out of the sky. A sort of almost unwillingness, unwaveringness to to give in after such a harrowing experience at the temple. She was immediately ready to put everything on the line to continue the fight. The moment in your mind sings to you of courage. And you realize now that you two both have that in common as well. You know, I still can't believe you stock butt that mummy's face. Sometimes things just need to be hit. Uh, I will almost hesitatingly, I'm going to reach back there. Because I kind of unconsciously, like, I, because I, you know, the doctor's been back there for a while. Sure. You reach your hand back, and when you do, there's a very, um, you feel the, the glove of the doctor's hand sort of just grab onto your wrist, not really grab but more touch and sort of lean it back down and in this relatively calm yet maybe colder voice 
you hear the doctor raise up a a warning, a, a, a negative response. Don't complicate things. Keep your hands down there. We are working. Grip the papers a little tighter. Did I hear that voice too? Oh, yeah. Was that the doctor's voice? Because I didn't sound like the doctor's voice. <laughs> it sounds a little like, quite a lot like him, except that this doctor seems very focused. Um, so perhaps he's a little busy. Hmm. I'll have to question him about that later. Speaking of questions. Doc holds up a gloved hand and with two fingers and then points at Lillian. I look at Sam and Sam, can you can you tell me that while the rest of us were in the heat of battle and fighting for our lives, you were not there. You are supposed to be on our team and you were not there. Why? Doc goes in again, by the way, when Sam pauses. I was there at the stones. I arrived after jumping off the side from that rampaging monster. And when I took cover, I saw that snake witch and the mummy and all the bodies and this thing coming from the heavens. I felt very alone. And I didn't know how many others were going to make it. So I thought, okay, maybe if I get closer. So I did. I got close to Swift and that and that mummy and the ritual. And then really, before I knew what I might do, it was over and she had absorbed that the queen, the pharaoh. I watched I watched you all arrive and, and speak to her as if you knew her. And then Omar showed up. And when he landed and disappeared from view, I didn't know what to what to do. It, it's beyond me. Everybody seemed to be confused. So I know that he sees me as unfinished business. So I tried to draw him out. While everyone was looking away, I got that mummy off the altar and took her head, propped her up with my hat. Behind that stone, hoping that wherever Omar was, he would take the easy kill. And then I waited. I waited for my my trap to be sprung. And I watched Maeve for a brief moment moving. And then, then there was a scream and a crack. And when I heard him crying out, it was from behind the stone where I was coming to grips with what had happened to me. Because when he spoke through my mind after I snapped that mummy's head, Something broke. It broke down walls in my mind. And then when I looked up, Omar was dead. That's the moment I extract. 
I watched as uh, everyone, again, spoke with this person as if they knew them. Obviously, Maeve did. And I, I watched Maeve dress them down and talk about lines she wouldn't cross. And I believed her. I believed Maeve. I, I, I believe that she's not, she doesn't wish any of you any ill will and that she would go to great lengths to protect you. But I, she brought us to that, that place to, to give this power to that witch. Whether she knew it, whether she didn't, I didn't know who to trust anymore. And so when you all let her go, I only saw one way out. And that was to try to solve that problem. Because it doesn't matter if we kill Omar, if we're just going to fill that void with another power that will oppress the people of Cairo. It's under the Black Pharaoh's boot. Or Yig's matriarchal priesthood. I mean, at that point, you know what happened. I failed. I sought Bass help and I failed. I hunted and I found skin. And now she's gone. Sam, you feel a, a sort of pressure release in your shoulders and spine. It's liberating, really. Because while your brain walks through some of this detail of the end of your time in Egypt, you're brought back again and again to this idea of what what matters ultimately is loyalty. And you get this sort of unflagging loyalty in several examples along your path with the group. And when you look back at it, loyalty can be expressed in a lot of different ways. But it's a trait each one of the members of the party embody in some way. No more so than that discussion that happened with this priestess. Maeve drew a very specific line. And that was heartening in some ways to you. You remember seeing her stand up to this person to not being willing to go down specific roads, to having some sort of loyalty to the cause. To her friends. Loyalty to you and loyalty to the group is a very significant portion of what you're doing because you're all risking something. And you think about everything, whether it be personal professional, family status, you think about all the things that the person sitting across from you is willing to risk to get this done. Not only is she somebody who is determined to see it through, courageous enough to take on all these things, but she was loyal to someone who she didn't always get along with personally. And in the end, that loyalty proved a boon when it came to her own tests in the desert. 
And you, you feel that resonance, that trait that you share with Lillian. That the two of you do have this common acceptance of what loyalty means. And that perhaps they're different perspectives, but they're important traits that you share with her. She shows that and expresses that in a lot of different ways. And maybe it would be better to mimic some of the ways that she shows her loyalty. Sam probably hasn't looked up from his papers much while this has been going on. So I will rifle through until I get to my own writings on loyalty. As he's going through the papers, Doc takes the marble and begins moving it towards not Lillian directly this time, but more towards the jar. But Doc is very closely watching Lillian's eyes and reaction with her hands out. Do her hands subtly move towards the marble? Maybe because she expected him to hand it to her anyways. So she starts to move her hands out as to like offer to take the the marble. Doc pauses when when she, when her hands move. Doc pauses, and then he turns and drops it into Lillian's hands. Next to the loyalty, Sam begins writing trustability. For you, Lillian, this marble has a slippery feeling to it. Not that the outside is like that, but you almost feel this movement inside of this marble, like it's filled with a fluid, whether it be water or not. You get the keen sense, too, that the rain outside is clearing as you place this marble in the jar. I place the marble in the jar with the others. And I peek out between the palm leaves and see that the rain's clearing up. Oh, it doesn't look to be raining as hard as it was before. That's good. Voice behind Lillian. No, it doesn't, does it? It seems that the weather is clearing, which is good. But we're not done. And I need you at your post. Go. I just shake my head and just kind of give an odd look to what I can see of the doctor behind Sam and okay I'll sit at my post he holds up one last finger one more question if you don't mind please another question Sam Lillian tell me about a time or tell us about a time that you felt like a complete failure but you continued on anyways. That even though you failed at something, you kept going. Sam crumples up the papers and kind of shoves them back into the wedge between his legs, shifts about in the seat anxiously. I was embedded at a place called Hasco, a Haitian-American sugar company, as labor. It's where I learned English. That's where I found Elias's writing. Masters of the Black Arts. Cover was beaten off of it already. I, I was given a team of eight to train and insert. I was 16. 
they weren't much older. And we worked out of that place for a couple of years until we were activated. And over a month or so, we laced the president's pralines. He was a fan of snacking pralines, candied nuts, with a slow-acting poison. And our plan succeeded. And uh, our people were able to get someone in power that would give us a bit of a fighting chance that didn't last long. And when they were overthrown, I put my faith in someone who betrayed us all. And I should have seen it coming. I could have stopped him. They locked us all in the, the president's mansion before sending it on fire, forced me into exile. I couldn't go home. I had nowhere to go. All my friends and family were dead. So I could have left, but instead I went with the insurgents to assault the embassy. And during the revolt, I was wounded. I don't know how or when, but I ended up on a ship way out of port before I got thrown overboard. But I didn't give up. Doc uh, extracts this one probably with forceps. This one seems like it is a fairly deep little nugget. It is, but it's actually very much larger than you were expecting. It's actually rather small. The issue with this one, Doctor, was that it was sitting very close to that previous one. And the feeling that you get is that there was a sort of solitary nature to the two of them being close together. It, it brought on this feeling that the best way to deal with things was to be separated so that way others were not harmed. And there's a real humanizing effect to it for you. The emotions of that are sort of a wellspring of joy, really. Yeah, Sam looks up visibly, kind of ugly, snot crying. Not audibly weeping, but it's it's pretty wet. And for you, Lillian, taking this piece just for the moment that you have it is... There's a sense of, of solitary, almost loneliness when you get it. A, a need for determination in oneself and this idea that, or this echo of, I have to do things on my own because I don't want anyone else to get hurt. That sort of solitariness that is dangerous. And you felt that feeling. You had it when you went to do a very personal investigation of Edward Gavigan. And William Bessert. <laughs> oh yeah, Bessert as well. <laughs> um, so you know the feeling and you also know just as well that it is dangerous in this world to go alone. Also, when the doc hands the nugget, the last nugget to Lillian, does he see her properly brace herself for what she knows was about to happen? Oh, yeah, by now, I'm sure that she's flinching a little bit when she takes these because she doesn't know how she's going to end up feeling. But she's learning to roll, liter almost literally learning to roll with the punches. Probably. When she drops the last nugget into the jar, Doc puts the scalpel back into the bag, closes the bag. So, Doctor, if you're 
if you're sewing things up, so to speak, doctor, if you're closing your patient, uh, I'm going to require a hard power roll from you. Otherwise, all of this hard work is for naught. I would like to do so. <laughs> My brain. I'm going to go with the two under 65 for the extreme success, please. Yeah, very good. Very good. Um, so for your part in this, sew up, Sam. It feels like, well, you know the feeling when someone, when you zip something up, whether it's a bag that gets closed or whether it's a jacket. You feel a, um, well, you feel the back of your skull get zipped up. It's a little cold and somewhat unsettling, I think is the best way to say it. And in doing so, I am going to have everyone here make a sanity roll mm. for the procedure. 69 over 40. Okay, that's one. Uh, it's a 39 under 70. Very good, Sam. Get a 51 out of 37. Okay, so luckily for Sam, the patient, he's passed his sanity roll. And so you're not going to take any sanity loss from this procedure. Wow. However, however, your compatriots have had to not only handle the dirtiest parts of your memory, but they've been sort of intrinsic in the reshaping of the, the new character traits or tenets that Sam will live by. In such, they've had to come very close to you, and they're going to suffer for it a little. Doesn't everybody? I mean, history shows, yes. Past is precedent. Uh, so, Lillian, you're going to lose a single point of sanity for me. You get off very lucky. Good gravy. Thank goodness. Doctor, you are not so lucky. <laughs> so, Doctor, you'll lose three points of sanity for me. All right. Coming back to yourself is a little harder this time. The black gloves and scalpel that you use to operate feel a little too comfortable. And so taking them off this time is a little bit difficult. But you do. And so, with the rain seemingly over and um, the procedure over, you all breathe a little easier. Doc opens the flap, the frond flap, to let Sam and Lillian out. I will stand aside and uh, invite Lillian to exit before me. Don't mind if I do. Lillian, would you grab the jar of marbles, please? You, you pulled an umbrella out of your bag, but you can't put the, be the, the container of marbles in your bag? Sam, could you wait outside for a moment? I wish to speak to you. Lillian. Are you sure you don't just want me to carry them? I, I'm quite certain. I walk outside. One thing, once again, on the way out, Sam mouths to Lillian, I'm sorry. Once Lillian has picked up the jar, she could place that on the 
on the shelf there. That would be fine. You look over, Lily, and there's a small shelf. Okay. I place it on the shelf. So you have questions? I think I'm starting to understand how this place works, but I definitely have questions for you. We have time for one question before the storm ends, I'm sir. You have to ask all the questions. The last few drops are landing on the ground now. The sun has not yet soaked them up. Who was the person that operated on Sam? Because that wasn't you. That didn't sound like you. The mannerism was not you. Miss Lane, you're incorrect. That is completely me. I am the one that operated on Sam. He walks across the room towards Lillian, not particularly quickly, but making sure he's between Lillian and the door. Who are you? You've not known me for very long. I know the doctor. I don't know you. I'm glad you know the doctor. He's keeping you quite safe. And that's what I am here for, yeah? It's making sure that you are all safe. I mean him. That's what he is here for. <laughs> I am still new to this as well. She steps forward towards him instead of away. Lillian, when you step forward towards the doctor, you see his image sort of shake. It's it's almost as if he goes in and out of visual, your, your, your sort of visual perception. He blips for a minute. And then standing in front of you is the doctor who was serving you tea. The man that was there before, the image you walked towards before, was a lot darker than the person you're suddenly standing in front of. Did it work? I assume it did work, yeah? Oh, it, it worked, Doctor. But we're going to have a long conversation about what you've been up to. It is the dreamlands. It is a very weird and bizarre place. Any, many things can happen. Come on, we must go find Sam. Oh, this is not over. We'll talk later. So uh, exiting the lean-to, you all come back out into a bright and sunny day. The beach is not far, and the, the pool here has sort of filled up a little bit. And in it, you see a myriad of wildlife, fish, and then there are some, some bugs there dancing in the, the sun. The passage of time is certain, although it's hard to tell how much exactly. And as you sort of collect there in front of the lean-to just for a moment, um, you sort of start to, to feel yourself. I, I think the easiest way for your brain to comprehend it is you, you feel yourself unravel like a long tube of paper. You sort of spindle out there on the ground. And you each get your own last moment and visual. Sam, your last visual here of the island is the lean-to. The wood that once bore you to this island and perhaps saved your life at one point. The lean-to was good for what it was in its time. The burden from carrying it from the shore is over, and it has been rebuilt into something that was purpose-built for safety for everyone. 
it gives you that final look at its wood and you feel a sense of completion. For you, Lillian, your last vision is nothing visual, unfortunately. It is all auditory. In the deepest recesses of your mind as you unravel, all you hear are the careful staccato notes played on violins and the pitter-patter of dancers moving in the darkness. Doctor, your vision is a handshake. It's one that took place in your office, in another time, in another place, when your hand met a very dark, gloved hand. And this sort of after-energy existed between the two of you. And you get a feeling of satisfaction. And you realize, as you unravel, that more of that darkness is on you. And that is where I'll call our interlude to a close. And so thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast as we continue our journey through Masks of Neil Arthotep. We look forward to seeing you next week.